everybody, welcome back to Talking Utilities. I'm your host, Ben, as always, bringing you another episode of the podcast. Today, I was joined by Joanne Smalley. Joanne has great experience in marketing and communications for three of the big six energy suppliers, and she's also done a lot of work with smaller, more startup-style energy suppliers as well. We looked at the importance of technology and the differing role that it plays. So if you're a big company, how easy is it to implement on top of your more legacy systems and infrastructure? If you're a newer company, do you have to just by default be technology first? We use case studies such as Octopus, Ovo, Bulb, and Joanne also talked to me um, about renewable energy and how that's gonna become a much more mainstream thing in the future. The suggestion was that within five years, nobody will be brown energy, everybody will be green. Um, she tells us a little bit more about what Solo are doing and gives us a little bit more on her insight on what the up and coming main innovations in the utility sector going forward will be. This was a great podcast. Uh, Joanne has really, really good breadth of understanding of the industry and she really did drop some knowledge for us. Hope you guys enjoy it. Please open your ears and welcome Joanne Smalley. Okay, Joanne, welcome to Talking Utilities. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. So for anybody who, anyone listening who, who isn't familiar with yourself, could you just give us a quick rundown of, of who you are and the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I run a consultancy called Cardane Communications, um, which is based on my experiences of working in the utility sector for the last 12 years or so. Um, I'm a marketing communications professional and I've worked for three of the big six as well as Alexon and also run a PR practice um, focusing on energy globally. So my experience across utilities in the energy sector is quite broad. Excellent. I mean, I think in terms of that experience, it's definitely that's what attracted me to towards getting you on the podcast and, and sort of hearing about your, your experiences at, at different companies. I mean, obviously, you've spent a lot of time working in the utility sector. I mean, what is it uh, about the sector that attracts you particularly? Oh, I love it. Every day is different. Um, what I love about this industry is that there's so much going on all the time. Um, I thought when I started in the industry 12 13 years ago that it was um, fast moving. Um, I don't think anybody, any of us could have expected what it's like today. Um, I work with a breadth of clients who are all doing different, very exciting stuff across the sector. And I think it's just the fact that we're on, was, I, I say we're on the cusp, we're not even on the cusp, but beyond the cusp of, of a complete revolution of the way our energy systems work. And that's what, for me, makes it so exciting. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I mean, from, from my perspective, sort of digging around in this for, for the last few months as I have been, it seems to be the utility sector kind of seems to be going through a change that sort of quite closely mirrors that of the financial sector, I would say, in, in that, um, you know, they're kind of realizing now that the sort of more traditional way of doing things perhaps isn't quite going to cut it anymore. And they're needing to sort of look to kind of more modern methods, including, you know, technology to, um, let's say, expand on their offering and kind of add more value to their customers, would you say? Um, I think technology is, is definitely it. What I would almost argue that, that the industry, the, the sort of private sector is, is pushing towards the technology side and, and the industry itself is, is, is trying to keep up. Mm -hmm. um, I think what's different between energy and financial services is the sheer 
depth and breadth of the physical infrastructure we've got, um, which people are having to manage in a way that to keep it to keep it up with technology. So um, we're we're talking pipes and wires, um, and we've got to make those pipes and wires as as ready and able as possible to deal with technologies like blockchain, um, with with um, grid side flexibility and all those kind of things going forward. So I think energy is almost the one industry that is really having to play catch up with technology, Mm -hmm. um, but recognises that technology will enable a lot of the stuff that it needs to do for the future. And I suppose then the complications are sort of making sure that what you, anything, any infrastructure you have, any existing infrastructure can be kind of updated and and modernised without causing any major disruptions and everything. Absolutely. I mean, we've got to look back. A lot of our physical infrastructure is over 40 years old. Um, and that's a case in point with smart metering. At the moment, um, the smart meter rollout is is, is going into people's homes. It's, it's highly controversial. Mm. But a lot of the meters on people's walls are over 40 years old. Um, so the, the technology we've got in people's homes is just not up to the job in terms of enabling a lot of the really new stuff that, that will actually really revolution the way consumers experience energy, pay for their energy. Um, going forward. So there's a resistance from a consumer element, there's a resistance from a, a sort of industry level, but but everybody, I think, at the end of the day has to come to the conclusion that we have to move forward and, and technology is the only way that's going to allow us to do that. Absolutely. I'd like to go back quickly to um, to, to your experience of, of, of three of the, the big six suppliers that you mentioned earlier, and also now sort of what you're doing with Solo at kind of a company that is maybe has a sort of smaller and more of a startup mentality. What are sort of the, yeah. what are some of the main differences that you've observed between the more traditional big outfits and some of these newer outfits? Oh, everything. Um, so I think what the, the analogy I always draw is that the big six utilities are like um, oil tankers um, in that they take some three miles to turn around or stop. Um, when you've got a sense of direction from those guys, it, it's very difficult to, to change quickly. It, it, they are they struggle with with legacy data. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the data they have is really really poor, um, and they also have come from a position where their position in the market's really been unchallenged. So they've been able to do whatever they do without really worrying about revolutionising or, or, or putting the customer first. Um, whereas the smaller guys that are coming into the market now, and whether they're suppliers or whether they're from you know further up the energy value chain, um, are really looking to to, to take te- technology as their base and to do things right first time. So so they've got the distinct advantage of, of being able to start from scratch and, and have a clean slate so the data they get is, is much better quality, the technology they're using not replace aging systems. Um, but they also have much more innovative and, and sort of forward-thinking mentality, which has enabled them to move much more quickly. And, and the problem we have at the moment is things are changing every day um, and, and the smaller suppliers are much more able and the smaller businesses are much more able to react to that more quickly. And it's, I mean, it could be, you could say that it is simply down to, to the size. I mean, I was, um, yeah. I was speaking to somebody uh, from British Gas earlier, earlier in the week and they were talking about, they were saying that sort of the higher ups in that company are sort of for the first time being presented with the data where they have as many, if not slightly more, people reaching out to them via more digital means than they do mm-hmm. the traditional means. And so they're kind of now having to realize that there's stuff they need to do with that. But yeah. one of the one of the big challenges, as you've said, is like in these big sort of 
monolithic organizations, you have to, if you're going to implement some change, you have to make sure that it's absolutely right first time and won't cause that much disruption. Otherwise, the disruption that you do cause affects so many people. Absolutely. And, and, and most of these big, the big six suppliers have had, you know, legacy issues with um, technology implementations and back-end billing systems that have caused them big issues, you know, fines, um, customer losses, big customer detriment. So there's obviously, from, from their perspective, there's a lot of um, nervousness about moving to new systems and implementing new systems. But they've also got quite a patchwork of systems within their businesses because of the way that they came together from you know the consolidation we saw through through privatization mm-hmm. um, which has been caused issues in dealing with them um, what we're seeing with a lot of the new suppliers is they're able to adopt new technologies um, much more easily new billing systems that are coming out like Gentrack, um, for example um, and Junifer uh, enable them to re- plug and play other technologies much more easily into their systems. So, for example, as you say, if, if, to be able to process customer services through digital channels in a traditional big six supplier, they may well be having to do that through a separate system, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't plug and play with their, their back-end systems. Whereas in the newer suppliers, those technologies are integrated much more closely. Octopus Energy is a case in point. You know, Everything they do is digital first. Absolutely. I think that um, the I think what you're seeing from a lot of these these newer entrants to the market, you know, your octopuses, your ovos, your bulbs and stuff, they, you know, they're almost billing themselves. And I think some of them are explicitly billing themselves as sort of, a, you know, a technology company first and an energy supplier second. Yeah. And that's seems- absolutely, absolutely completely agree. And I, I think that's the way it's going to have to go, because actually, at the end of the day, the, the commodity is is the same no matter who you buy it from. It's only, a, it's only how people price it and how you experience it that's any different. Yeah, and I think that, you know, certainly what we're seeing now in terms of, you know, everything that you're hearing from, from Offgem and even sort of citizens' advice, um, you know, getting involved when it comes to, to customer satisfaction and things like that, really it's your, your customer service that is going to ultimately differentiate you because people seem to be, you know, I, I, for me personally anyway, I, I don't think it's as much like this race to the bottom of the lowest price anymore. I think there's a sort of healthy degree of cynicism now that even if you do get yourself the lowest price, at the back of your mind, you're always like, well, is this just the lowest price for the next week? Is this the lowest price for the next month? And it's looking to have these sort of complementary technology, for example, that maybe adds personalization or makes something easier that helps people to stay with the brand. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, what we've seen over the last few months in particular is is the cheapest energy supply. Quite a few of the ones who've, who've, who've led this race to the bottom going bust. Um, mm. In times of a rising wholesale market, um, having cheap prices is not is, is not necessarily a reassurance for customers because actually it, 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 there's a worry about whether it's sustainable. Um, you know, the, the likes of Bulb and Octopus, who are nobody can doubt that they're leading the way on any of the, the customer satisfaction surveys, um, are really changing the way customers experience their energy. Um, you know, they're, they're getting text messages, they're getting um, emails that, that make them want to engage with their energy supply, give meter readings. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're pushing the, the smart meter out into homes. They're making that experience a good one. Um, and that way people are more engaged with their energy consumption. Um, and I think, you know, that is definitely the future and, and the way we're going. And, and what we'll see is less of a focus on price per se and more of a focus on technology. 
yeah, I think that's definitely the way that the market is going. I'm always sort of, you know, as somebody who sort of works in, in the tech space and, and has a bit of a background um, in the tech space, albeit my focus is primarily energy and utilities now, something that I'm sort of hesitant to be is, is kind of this evangelist who's just going around telling people to sort of put some technology on things mm -hmm. and it'll, you know, it'll be the answer to their prayers and all that, which is why we, we certainly try here on the podcast to, to look at different ways that companies can help people outside of technology and just kind of put more of a, a fairer slant on it. You'd mentioned earlier um, people communicating via the app or via text message and everything. So as somebody who's responsible or has been responsible for communications at these types of companies, could you just give us an insight into sort of what type of strategies are employed by companies like this that might affect things such as how they're viewed by their customers? Um, it's an interesting one. I think I think responsiveness is key. So um, people typically only contact their energy supplier if something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. um, if the bill they receive is a lot higher or lower than they're expecting or they haven't received a bill or something's gone wrong with their meter um, or, or they're struggling to pay their bill. Um, and those experiences, therefore, are always starting off almost from a negative perception. So, so energy suppliers are on a little bit of a hiding to nothing when it comes to, to starting off their interactions with their customers because um, things do go wrong. You know, that, that happens and it, in a complicated industry like energy. It, it's, not, it's, it's, it's a miracle that they don't go wrong more often, <laughs> I always say. Um, so I think the thing that energy companies, I, I mean, the big six have, got a, have not got a great reputation for, for communicating with their customers. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the problem is, is, is they don't necessarily start from a starting point of understanding that people are in a, a negative frame of mind when they first interact with them. Um, they probably aren't as responsive as they could be, and that, that's due to scale, but it's also due to, to not having the right channels available. Um, what smaller suppliers are doing much more effectively is responsiveness um, and, and understanding that actually social enables them to deal with an issue a lot more quickly than other channels do. So, so for example, the, the, the big six suppliers that are, and, and bear in mind, I haven't worked for a big six supplier for a number of years, so things may have changed, but, but the problems they used to have predominantly were dealing with volumes of inbound. Mm -hmm. um, if you can spread those across multiple channels, I mean, you will always have your grandmother from Inverness who wants to write you a letter or um, phone up and have a chat um, with somebody and, and you have to be prepared to deal with those people um, and they're much higher cost to serve um, but you have to have the channels in place but if you can switch as much as you can into your social channels and your responsiveness and, and say that people want to respond you know if I'm going to make a complaint on Facebook I want somebody to pick that up and deal with it pretty quickly maybe taking it offline um, but but if they can understand that social gives them a, an ability to be much more responsive and turn a negative into a positive much more quickly, then I think you know those are the right sort of strategies, and that's what we're seeing from the smaller guys in a much better way than than the big six. I mean, Octopus Energy, Greg Jackson, their their MD, their CEO, he will personally respond to to a lot of stuff that comes through onto a Twitter feed, which is. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty unheard of, really. You don't you don't hear yeah. that. You don't hear much of that going on these days. I work, like it's it's funny because as as you say that, I'm sitting here thinking like that's you know that's great. It's exactly what 
you know, uh, you know, I'm I'm 30. It's it's exactly what somebody like me would would expect to be able to do when it comes to um to communicating with a business. And certainly, a lot of the the research that I've been doing has been certainly from a customer experience point of view has been talking about the importance of offering people the same channels to communicate with your business as they would their friends and family. Yeah, absolutely. But you then come to the challenges then, as you've mentioned earlier in the in the case of some of these guys in the big six, is how can you scale that? Yes, you do. And I think technology, technology is the answer. But actually, it, it's a lot easier to have agents dealing with web chat or social media than it is to have call agents, call center agents, mm. because you know those agents can deal with multiple issues at the same time, whereas a call center agent can only deal with one, one, one issue at one time. So, so actually, the scalability of social is, is I think, much better than, than, than if you're relying on, on telephone, um, which is the traditional model that, that yeah. utilities use. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you always need telephone because sometimes you just need to speak to a human being. But, I mean, I'm a little bit older than you, Ben, but I still would yeah. rather deal with an issue on web chat than actually pick up the phone and ring somebody. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and, and to that end, then, I suppose my next question would be, like, is being seen as a, a technologically savvy company uh, important to these suppliers in your experience? Um, so I think, I think we definitely have to divide them into two camps here. Okay. Um, I think the new suppliers, yes, for them, as you say, they are technology first, energy second. Um, and that's the breadth of their experience. I think for the likes of the big six, they would like to be seen as technological companies. And in, in, in fact, you know, British gas four or five years ago set up Hive mm-hmm. it's a separate business in its separate offices in a you know in a trendy part of Soho, um, and, and sort of rolled it out of the business to say you know this is we are a services and technology business, not an energy business, and they've been banging that drum for a long time. So I think they they recognise it. The question is, are they actually able to change what they are and change what people perceive them to be? And I'm not sure that the answer to that is yes. Certainly not yes yet. I think that there will certainly be. It, I mean, and, and to be fair to to be fair to British Gas, I, I can kind of speak to this a little bit just because off off the back of some of the some of the conversations that I've had, and we had um, Tim Troy from British Gas Light on the on the podcast earlier in the year as well. And I think yeah. that I, certainly the things that I've seen from British Gas is that there is definitely an appetite to become, um, you know, kind of more technolo- technology first, and to sort of maybe try and adopt more agile practices kind of a, a leaner a leaner model where possible i mean case in point the sort of rollout of of british gaslight in that they've kind of they've almost split the business a little bit and created sort of a smaller brand that will allow them to sort of road test you know what it's like to be predominantly you know online chat based and then looking at how the technology sort of rolls into that with regards to crm and how it affects yeah. your metering and things like that um whereas you know BG, like full fat British gas, as it were, um, you know, they have these, they have these legacy systems, as you say, Joanne, it's been predominantly a a contact center based model for, for many years. And it's a case of figuring out, you know, how best to integrate new technologies into what's already there, but then also to make sure that you're going to be able to make the most of the, um, of the staff that you, that you have. Exactly. And and British Gas aren't the only ones doing that. E.ON have sort of launched their, their digital first strategy where, where they're, they're, they're focused and they've done this in, in Central Europe mm-hmm. where they're rolling out digital only models um, as separate businesses, as you like. So, so, so they can move 
the customer base that wants to go down that route on into those. Um, the problem we'll have when when with a lot of these guys is 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 the switching model we've got at the moment. So the people who aren't switching are the ones who've been with those guys since since privatisation. Um, their legacy customers. Yeah. These are the ones who will want to phone people up and speak to them. These are the ones who will write letters. Um, and these are possibly the ones who might not have had a meter read for 10 years mm. because they haven't moved supplier and their quality and their data is very, very poor. So, so the problem that the big six are going to find themselves in, and this is a, a situation of their own, you know, it's just an, the way it's worked, is they're going to end up with all the really, really hard to serve customers. Um, and all the digital businesses are going to end up with the guys who are really happy to do the light touch digital stuff, which is is, is potentially cheaper to, you know, the cost of sales a lot lower. Um, and, and there's going to be a bit of a, a problem there. So um, I think the big six are making the right moves. It's mm -hmm. whether they can make the moves quick enough is, is, is the question. Yeah, so perhaps with regards to their attitudes towards technology, then it would be fair to say that it's something that there's kind of a, a general acceptance there that it's, you know, it's it's an ongoing process. It's something that will need to be incorporated uh, more fully as they progress. But it, there needs to be sort of a, an understanding that it's going to be hard just to make wholesale changes within kind of a, a, a more legacy infrastructure. Yeah, it, and it's not just the infrastructure, it's the type of customers you've got as well. Mm, that's true. Uh, so, so you know, the likes of Bulb are only going to acquire people who, who will acquire via digital or, and want to be serviced via digital. And the same goes for Octopus. Um, you know, people who switch more likely are more likely to use switching sites, which means they're more likely to be digital savvy. Um, so the, those customers, are, are, are by the time, you know, these guys get them, are, are the ones who want to engage that way. Um, the ones who are sat not switching... Um, within the big six are the ones that when they have problems are very difficult problems to deal with mm -hmm. that's the sort of these people who have always been we've always been a british gas family yeah that and they'll probably have their, their gas with british gas and their electricity with whoever was their electricity supplier when they switched and you, you think oh nobody does that anymore and believe me you know I've, I've spoken to friends of mine and they're still on their legacy suppliers really yeah, it still happens. I'm amazed. I'm absolutely amazed. And is, do you think that's just from sort of, uh, I mean, do you think that is a sort of sense of loyalty or do you think it's just laziness or, or apathy? I mean, I spoke to a friend of mine who was in his late 30s and, you know, he's a, got a very respectable job. He's a, a deputy head teacher and um, he didn't know he could switch. <laughs> didn't didn't really hadn't comprehended that he could actually switch his energy suppliers right and I, I i did it for him and i saved him about 35 quid a month yeah um and 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 that for me is is is, is the challenge is you know it's the the more did the digital the more technologically savvy you are mm -hmm. i think the better the more you'll benefit from 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 the world as in as it's going forward yeah and is that in, in so in terms of communications again? Then is that something? Because to me, it almost seems counterintuitive for any one energy supplier to say to their customers, like you can switch. So you could say, like, are they responsible for a level of education to the public in terms of their their communications? Or but then obviously it's in their best interests to just keep people. Yeah, I, th I think it's 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 a really difficult one. Um, because obviously we've had Empower in the news lately um, being fined by Ofgem for not 
allowing their customers to participate in a collective switch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, suppliers push back quite, the big six have pushed back quite hard on, on including, um, you know, on, on the, oh, what was it, marketing to, to their sticky customers about switching. Um, I think there is no other industry where you would say to corporations, you must tell your customers if, other, if your competitors are giving them a cheaper deal. Yeah. You know, we are in quite a, that's quite a unique point, but the energy companies do have themselves to blame because for a number of years, they've just been quite happy to let people sit on the most expensive variable tariffs and not switch them to cheaper tariffs when they could. And they've made money out of those people over and above other tariffs. So I think, I think that there's a, there's an element that the industry has itself to blame there. Yeah, I think that's an absolutely fair point, to be honest. In t- speaking of tariffs then, so one of the, um, I mean, as it happens, uh, it's coming up to my time in our house uh, to, to switch energy suppliers. And I've been looking, I've kind of been looking at, um, at at Bulb for a little while now, you know, obviously being, having an interest in technology as I do, I've been following them quite closely. And then they're, obviously their trust pilot scores, their customer satisfaction is very good. And um, they've got a great model. Yeah, but because of this, because they're because they're one hundred percent renewable energy, and the wholesale cost of energy is increasing because they only offer people one tariff. I think they've seen three price increases this year. Yes. Which, to be fair to them, it should be said, still keeps them in the you know as amongst the cheaper suppliers. But I just yeah. as a potential um, customer of Bulb, you just it, I don't know if it's just me, but you see sort of three price increases, and you think. Oh my goodness! You know, do I want a fixed term? Would I stay variable? Um, so I wanted to, my question really is about is about kind of this renewable energy and green energy, and um, you know what effect do you think that's going to have on the market, especially in terms of, of people of pricing and, and tariffs and things? That's a that's a very big question. So <laughs> um, I mean, I think this is quite timely. Obviously, the IPCC report came out at the beginning of the week, which 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 painted some very terrifying scenarios about what happens if we allow a two percent um a two degree increase in 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 temperatures um and one of the big things that came out of that report that that was that fossil fuels um are almost one of singularly one of the biggest causes of of temperature rise Mm -hmm. um through through climate change um so i i don't think we have a choice is is the answer to that question i think we will we have to move to 100 percent renewable future there is there is no way to do to do that um what we are actually seeing is is the cost of renewables are coming down at a pace and i, I mean you know far quicker than than technology adoption levels should should say um so the cost of solar and wind now is, is actually below the cost of, of fossil fuels and actually if you look at the strike price that was fixed for hinkley point um sort of three or four years ago at 95 pounds a megawatt hour or or ballpark around that you'll see that a a cost for renewables are a lot lower so what i think i I think that 100 renewable in five years time nobody will look at anybody who offers brown at all it will be green all the way um will that mean bills go up actually i think no because what we're seeing is is a growth in technologies that will allow more stabilization across costs um the, the 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 variability you know off gems winter outlook came out yesterday um and and that talked about the fact that actually because gas costs were really high across europe this year and and gas was going to be quite high um, a lot of our generation over the winter is going to be from coal so actually if we can 
ease the intermittency of fossil fuel, our dependency on, on, on things like gas um, by using renewables, which although don't blow, all, you know, the wind doesn't blow all the time or the sun doesn't shine all the time, um, there are, is technology like battery storage, which means that actually we can we can benefit from much more constant lower cost energy um, and, and renewable energy going forward. That would be excellent. I think that, I mean, when you say it's, you know, in five years time, it'll all be, it'll all be green. That certainly gives me a bit more, a bit more hope for uh, that we're not completely wrecking the planet as we go forward. It has to be, Ben. It absolutely has to be. We, we don't have a choice, I don't think. Uh, I think, you know, the, the, whichever, you know, the government getting behind it a little bit more as well would, um, would definitely help. I think that something, I mean, in terms of uh, wind power in particular, I've, I've seen that, that I think the government have been quite slow to, to get behind wind. Um, I think there's been a challenge in that, in that, particularly the Conservative Party government is 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 quite responsive to to the NIMBY attitude of not in my backyard with onshore wind, and the fact that they they've rejected onshore wind for a number of years. Um, onshore wind is the lowest cost form of wind generation. Um, you know, offshore wind, or while the costs have come down a lot and and there's a lot more capacity out there, it's very expensive because putting pylons in very deep parts of the sea, which is what our North Sea is, mm-hmm. is very expensive. Um, I think if we can accept that onshore wind should play a part in our future jet, um, energy mix, then then those costs would come down a lot. And actually, people might consider the, the, the Danish model is fantastic. Most Danish people, well, that's probably generalisation, but a lot of Danish people own shares in, in a wind farm, in right. a wind turbine. You know, it's considered just what you do. Mm. Very cool. And what sort of role does, um, as I know this is something that you're sort of engaged with more so now, what kind of role would, would energy storage then have in this going forward? And can you talk to us a little bit about some of the work that's going on at Solo? Yeah, absolutely. So so for me, energy storage is, is the game changer. Um, it is absolutely the way that we turn renewable energy, which has its problems with intermittency, into something that we can work into baseload effectively. Um What's really interesting is that we're seeing at the moment companies coming at it from all parts of the energy value chain. So we're seeing big companies um, who are building big batteries, um, you know, fields of batteries to to do grid side response um, and and, and really speedy voltage control. Um, But we're also seeing the likes of Solo and the work they're doing is is about connecting in-home solar panels with in-home battery units. So at the moment, they're looking at at homes that have existing solar that might have gone through the FIT schemes um, of of the last few years, Um, connecting that with with a a battery, which they're actually installing in people's homes for free, um, and using that to aggregate lots of that that storage into what they call a virtual power plant. Um, So you have 500,000, 5,000 homes aggregated together. You've actually got quite a significant amount of renewable storage capacity that can either be used at times of within the home at times of 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 low renewable on the grid or um can be used to provide grid support services by by pushing renewable power back onto the grid um wholesale um they're also using that with 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 electric vehicles and vehicle to grid chargers so if you've got an ev sat on your driveway that because suddenly becomes a storage asset Um, and with the growth the predicted growth of electric vehicles over the next 10 years or so, I think, you know, that everybody's going to have a battery sat outside their home most of the time. So all of a sudden, we're moving from very big 
um, sort of um, national level infrastructure to, to distributed generation and, and storage capacity in people's homes, um, which enables us to, to really shift the dial away from that, that traditional base load coal, nuclear, gas into a, actually we can take renewables and really turn it into a valuable asset. And, and Solo's mission statement is, you know, 100% renewable future and that they believe they can, they can achieve that. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope so. One of my favorite um, sort of potential future scenarios when we talk about people sort of starting to store their own energy is the idea that people will then sort of start to trade with one another. Yeah. Because I think it offers... Oh, sorry, Joanne. No, no, sorry. I was just going to say, and that's, that's a prime part of, of the solo model is that, that when technology, you know, when regulation enables it, um, you can actually do peer-to-peer -peer energy trading um, via blockchain-based technology. And that's what's so excited about, exciting about all of this. Absolutely. And I think that when that starts to happen, particularly for something like blockchain, I think that that kind of offers a more understandable context for the technology as well, which would in turn make it more commonplace? Um, I, th I think you can look at this in, in multiple layers. So from a consumer point of view, there is a, I have a renewable asset, my solar panels or my, or potentially, um, but I can't run on renewable asset, I can't run on re renewable power during the night because there's no sun shining. Mm -hmm. So a battery enables me to, to, to store the energy, not waste it, and to use it 100% of the time. So I'm 100% I'm renewable home. Then you escalate that to actually then I can use my battery or my assets to support the grid with my renewable generation. And then you take it on to that. Actually, I can create a, a sort of trading platform within my community whereas I, where I can swap my energy tokens, as you like, with other people. Now, I think we've, we've got degrees of acceptance <laughs> and, and, and with, with people. we've got early adopter type tech people who are going to love to do that and that's going to be amazing. But I think the majority of the population are going to be saying to, to the likes of Solo, um, use your technology, use your FlexiGrid platform to do it all for me. Just make me some money. I don't really care, mm -hmm. but you do it. Um, I think from a from a consumer point of view, there are very few people who are actually going to want to deal with that level of transaction themselves. Um, and I think that's where the likes of Solo come in, which is, you know, we, we the industry's talked about time of use tariffs for years, um, which is, you know, turning on your devices at times when the grid demand is low, so you get a cheap price. Yeah. Everybody moans, I don't want to put my washing machine on at four o'clock in the morning because it will wake my neighbours up. Um, or I don't want to have to use my oven. You know, I want to use my oven at seven o'clock when I cook my dinner. Um, what battery storage does is it, is it, is it changes that. And, and you, an overlying software platform, which takes that all away from you, so you don't have to worry about whether your battery's importing or exporting. All you have to do is rely on a company like Solo to say, we will give you 100% renewable in your home at the lowest possible price. I've ticked that box. Thank you very much. I don't have to worry about it again. And I think if we overestimate the level of customer and consumer engagement with these kind of technologies, then we run the risk of being very disappointed in about 10 years' time. Yeah. I, mean, I think the idea that somebody out there, like businesses out there, would completely manage it sort of from start to finish for you would be very, very appealing to people indeed. I mean, um, yeah. So, Joanne, well, my last question was going to be around what you see as the main innovation in the utility sector going forward. Um, is it safe to say that energy storage is, is the big bet? I think it's energy.
energy storage, but also the technologies that overlay that. So um, for me, I think in, in 10 years' time, we won't even know who our energy supplier is. And what we'll do is interact with somebody who can provide an energy service to us that enables us to, to either have energy storage or to switch us onto cheaper tariffs at different times of the day or night, but to manage our energy in a way that allows us to keep our bills low and also give us the things that are important to us, whether that's 100% renewable or not. So I think energy storage is the big one, but I, I think it's the, it's the, the, technology, the consumer level technology and, and the interaction between consumers and that technology that, that is going to be the biggest innovation we see. That sounds like sounds like a sounds like sounds good to me. Jo yeah, and me. Yeah. Can't wait. Fingers crossed there. Well, Joanne, Absolutely. thank you very much for joining uh, me today. For um, if anybody wants to, to to get in touch with you or to kind of hear more about what's going on with yourself or, or solo, where can people reach you? Um, so they can email me at um, hello at cardanecoms.co.uk or they can follow me on Twitter or go to my LinkedIn. I'm just Joanne Smalley on LinkedIn. Perfect. Great stuff. Well, as I say, Joanne, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much for joining me today. No problem, Ben. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Amazing podcast with Joanne there. I thank her again for her time. It was awesome to speak with her and I look forward to having her on again soon. Guys, and by guys, of course, I mean guys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, people, humans, everybody. That is it from me for this episode of Talking Utilities. As always, please like this podcast, share this podcast, get in touch with me, tell me what you like, tell me what you don't. You can get me on LinkedIn, I'm Benjamin Lind. You can get me on Twitter, at Benjamin L1ND. And if you're curious about the company that allows me to do this, that lets me sing for my supper, talk for a living, and speak to all these interesting people in this interesting industry, you need to be looking out for Hedgehog Lab, hedgehoglab.com, at hedgehoglab on Twitter. Thanks everybody for listening. It's so cool that you guys tune in week in, week out. I'm looking forward to bringing you the next podcast very soon. Take care of yourselves. Speak soon.